This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu with the return of 1950s rebel icon James Dean to our screens in the near future and the success of CGI versions of real-life actors in movies like Gemini Men and The Rise of Skywalker. Are we on the verge of a wave of all-star casts featuring actors who have been dead for decades? One man who is no stranger to decomposition is Culture Pop and MSP's Matt Amatech. Hey, Jeff. Now, that is a little bit harsh. Um, okay, I mean, I know I opened the floodgates a little bit talking about anti-aging tech and perhaps, you know, I could top up my deodorant a little bit more, but I don't know, decomposing, uh, I really don't know what to say to that. All right. Is this the show part of your obsession with age, uh, movie stars brought to eternal life? Well, no, but it is one of those happy coincidences, um, one of those serendipitous dovetails, uh, I, I guess. I'll admit, um, I had uh, L7's Pretend We're Dead on repeat while I was writing the notes for this, so no prizes for guessing what our geek tune later is going to be. <laughs> oh, no. um, but, you know, bringing artists back from the dead, it's not actually new. Um, writers especially mm. have routinely had unfinished works or story ideas polished and completed by other writers. Uh, it was only three years ago, I think, Tolkien's uh, Children of Hurin was published. Uh, that took place, of course, 34 years after he died. Uh, and that manuscript was uh, assembled by his uh, son Christopher from all the fragments mm. that he'd uh, written. Uh, and of course, you know, the Beatles took a 1977 John Lennon demo of a song called Free as a Bird and turned it into a, a new Beatles uh, studio track featuring the Fab Four in 1995, which was, of course, a, a global number one. But not everyone gets such loving treatment, though, do they? Well, you know, we've talked about uh, recording artists brought back from the dead before. Um, you know, music stars like uh, Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. have all performed duets long after hmm. their death. Uh, in uh, Tupac's case, he's actually released far more music since he died than he managed to while he was alive, mm. um, partly because he recorded dozens of vocal tracks, but also because, you know, the, the remixes of his existing work simply don't stop. Is there an argument for this in the case of artists who have enormous archives of unreleased materials? Well, it's this kind of really grey area. Um, it's really in the hands of the artist or as is more <laughs> likely the executors of their estate. Mm. So when Kurt Cobain appeared as an avatar in the game Guitar Hero yeah. 12 years ago, you know, fans were absolutely shocked, especially at the idea that you could have him play songs by bands he openly rubbished while yeah. he was alive. Um, but then you have artists like Prince, you know, he's got dozens of unreleased albums, hundreds of tracks. I mean, it's rumoured he's got 50 completed music videos yeah. that he never got around to to releasing. But others, like Amy Winehouse, you know, they, they re-release, but the material gets scrappy very, very fast. Mm -hmm. What's happening in the movie industry is very different, though, is it? Well, sure. I mean, you're with musicians, you know, you're, you're taking existing vocal snippets of someone like Amy Winehouse and you're reassembling mm. them. What you're not seeing is entirely new works, at least, you know, not yet, because we're not at the point where we have to do that quite yet. But uh, we have talked about uh, an AI that can write in the style of uh, various music artists. But right now, those machines are no more accurate than a, mu a musician who can copy someone else's style. And sometimes, 
even those human copies can confuse an artist. Uh, last week I was reading something, uh, the songwriter Nick Cave from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. He was watching a Serbian Nick Cave tribute band, tribute band rather, on YouTube. You don't really expect there to be a Serbian <laughs> Nick Cave and the, the Bad Seeds tribute band. But he was watching that on YouTube and his wife passed by and she told him how good his singing was. She hadn't realised <laughs> wow. that it wasn't him. Wow. Uh, tribute bands aside, artists like uh, Roy Orbison uh, have toured after their death. Yeah, you know, we've started to see uh, the rise of these kind of virtual music stars. Uh, not a tsunami so far, uh, more of a trickle. Um, there are, you know, a few stage shows that have been created after mm. an artist's death. So the uh, show, as you mentioned, Roy Orbison in Dreams, that toured in 2018. That was an entirely new show featuring a hologram of Roy Orbison uh, that would perform and it would even speak to the audience wow. uh, using mm. a, a, like a, a voice double. Uh, it used mostly existing vocal performances and it was supplemented with live musicians and backing singers. And the hologram was perfectly synced to the words as well as to the guitar notes that Roy Orbison was actually playing. Wow. I mean, you can check the footage on YouTube. It is a little bit spooky. <laughs> um, and we were supposed to see similar tours by Tupac and Amy Winehouse since then, but no sign of them as yet. But when it comes to CGI actors, we're actually going a stage further. We're heading firmly into that kind of deep fake territory. Is that the reason why it makes people uncomfortable, the idea of the dead coming back to life? Well, there is that touch of the walking dead about mm. it. Um, though, you know, sometimes these conjured actors are less alive and more sentient than zombies at the same time. You know, mm. I was um, so happy when Princess Leia finally died mm. in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, you know, it felt really disrespectful to Carrie Fisher to keep trotting out mm. her image movie after movie, uh, especially as, you know, they floated her into space in The Last yeah. Jedi. I mean, that, <laughs> that could just have been it. Um and, you know, as one of the seemingly few fans that Rise of Skywalker uh, has, um, mm. Leah was a bit of a sticking point for me. Uh, I know the actor is dead, so I know that the character on screen isn't real. Even though it's full of CGI characters. Well, that's the thing. You know, if they wanted to portray her as a droid that the Force somehow imbued it with her essence, that would have been weird. But, you know, OK, <laughs> uh, I can accept that from a plot point of view mm. but knowing Fisher is dead it makes you look for yeah. the flaws mm. it reinforces that it's C CGI and that it's not a real actor so her death scene in ROS I'm sorry if it's a, a spoiler for anyone <laughs> but you know it's been six weeks already um it wasn't a tearjerker it was an mm. absolute relief and to be honest I don't remember anything about her her death scene at all yeah. it was just like Oh, for heaven's sake, thank you. Get her off the screen. Yeah. Actually, that, that's very... No, no you, we, we mentioned Gemini Man earlier. Is it the CGI you have trouble with or the dead part? Definitely, I think the, the dead part. Mm. Um, there would be no action movies without CGI these days. You know, Tom Cruise might like to do his own stunts, but when you're dropping a Terminator into a vat of molten <laughs> metal, you know, there are limits to what you can expect a human actor mm. to actually walk back from. Uh, I know some people think CGI has taken some of the soul out of movies, but done well, I think it adds a lot more than it takes. You know, I kind of forget that Rocket in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy isn't real, <laughs> that he's added in later. You know, you're completely invested in that character. Mm. 
And when you see footage of Andy Serkis doing the motion capture for Gollum in Lord of the Rings, it's actually freakier than the on-screen version of Gollum. You know, somehow it's even more (laughs) monstrous. But yeah, back to Gemini Man. Well, thank you. Um, Leaving aside whether it was a good film, I thought so, but again, Mm. nobody else did. It was kind of eerie because Mm. the young Will Smith looked very real. Uh, You could see from the movements of the character and, of course, the the traits it had, like hyper strength, that it wasn't, of course, a human actor. But, you know, that's all of the suspension of disbelief stuff. And it's cool that the technology has come so fast, so fast. Um, When you look back at something like Ryan Johnson's Looper from 2012... He used prosthetics rather than CGI to make Joe Gordon-Levitt look like Bruce Willis. (laughs) Um, And it ended up just looking really strange. Um, Nobody liked the CGI Arnie in Terminator Genesis in 2015. In fact, nobody liked Terminator Genesis in 2015. (laughs) Um, But... You know, that image of Will Smith staring at Mm. a younger version of himself in Gemini Man, it was odd, but it wasn't unnatural, not Mm. in the same way that Carrie Fisher felt in Rise of... of, I keep saying Rise of Star Walker, (laughs) Rise of Skywalker. That that was probably the name that they were banding around. They should have gone with it. As I'm the only fan, they should give it the name I want. And then you contrast it with deep fixed producers like Control Shift Face. Yeah, now over Christmas, I watched um, Control Shift Face's Home Stallone. Ah, have, you, have you watched no, that? No, I have not. Yeah. You have to watch it. All so right. it's freaky. Um, it adds Sylvester Stallone's face <laughs> into Macaulay <laughs> Culkin. Um, you know, it, it's so creepy that when I finished watching the clip, I immediately had to watch the original of Home Alone again because mm. I had to try and recapture the innocence <laughs> of the original movie. But, you know, that ability to use AI to remap faces is completely changing the game. Mm. For the sake of some of our listeners, how does this kind of deepfake technology actually work? Now, I know Jeff already knows the answer <laughs> to this, so it is for everyone else. So in a nutshell, you know, uh, an, an artificial intelligence, usually some form of generative adversarial network, mm. I can't say the word generative, uh, starts arguing with itself. Uh, the generative bit, see, uh, creates versions of the image or video. Um, it'll analyze lots of footage and, of course, all the angles of a mm. face and body. Uh, it will maybe analyze the way it moves as well. And then it starts to output and create different versions. Uh, the adversarial bit challenges it and tries to guess which images are fake and which are real images of that person. And as this evolves over time, the generative part becomes a lot more accurate. It learns from that process of being challenged. And eventually, the content it creates looks real first time around. Mm. You know, we've talked about the uh, deepfake video of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg before. Uh, It's also worth Googling the animated Mona Lisa, where the painting comes to life in a deepfake created by Russian scientists. You know, you're starting to blur the lines between in real life and fiction. And that really is the kind of perfect recipe for movie making. All right. Uh, When we come back, uh, CGI and AI combine and the ethics of this new virtual movie business. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Burning for more. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. And we're back. Before the break, we were talking about AI and the rise of deepfakes. Couple it with CGI. Can we just create movies from scratch? Do they need any human input at all? 
that's the question. I mean, we already create movies from scratch without human actors. We have done for a long time. Mm. You know, they're called cartoons. <laughs> um, with CGI, we can now do to people everything that Jerry did to Tom or Wiley Coyote did to himself <laughs> in the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Mm. Uh, if you're so young that you don't know those cartoons, you have to go and check out Tom and Jerry mm. and Roadrunner. I, again, doing the notes for this show, I looked at some of the episodes and they're so fast-paced. Yeah. I mean, they just are absolutely incredible. Um, and it's over 70 years since some of those cartoons were made. They first wow. started making them in the 1940s. But back to the question, you know, it depends on what you want to make. You know, I think we're still a way away from that movies from scratch idea, at least when it comes to human realistic content. Is it because of the voices? In part, but... Um, even then, you know, those same uh, GANs, the generative adversarial <laughs> networks, are getting better at speech. Um, they're getting better at the analyzing, mm, the mm. recreating, but also giving context and the appearance of emotion. Uh, we mentioned uh, James Dean at the uh, start of the, uh, uh, the show. More than 50 years after his death, the eternally 24-year-old star mm. is set to return in a Vietnam War movie called Finding Jack. And it's not the first time he's been reanimated. He was brought back for a Mercedes ad campaign in 2017 where he co-starred alongside Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Uh, and now his files are being called up for an entire movie. So in November, it was announced that Dean will play the second lead in the movie, uh, which is about military dogs who were abandoned by the US Army at the end of the Vietnam War. I know. <laughs> I had that reaction too. Um, directors Anton Erst and uh, Tati Golik claim that the casting was not a marketing stunt, but simply because they couldn't land on an actor they thought could play the role as well as Dean. I mean, usually, you know, you look for people who are alive. Yeah, yeah. Have they not seen Adam Driver? Well, exactly. Apparently not. Um, you know, I can understand this as kind of a theoretical <clears throat> exercise, doing it to see if you can pass off a machine creation as a human actor, mm. uh, if only because it might mean they can do something about Henry Cavill for season two of The Witcher, um, because some people really are less human than machines. Um, but to argue that it's not a stunt, um, that you will go to all this trouble to program an actor, you know, maybe it's true, but it's certainly a great way to generate publicity for a dog movie. Wasn't my original question about voices, not dogs or Henry Cavill? Yeah, but I take any <laughs> any excuse to talk about Henry Cavill. Um, yeah, no, the technology to animate the character on screen, um, Dean will still have to be voiced by an actor. They can mm. bring his image back, but they'll have to, to have him voiced over. It seems counterintuitive uh, that the voice is the part that's harder to replicate. Maybe there isn't enough uh, audio footage to analyse, to create new dialogue from. Um, you know, it raises all sorts of interesting questions uh, about um, uh, who owns an image or digital rights, because uh, in this instance, obviously, Dean's estate has granted usage rights in the same mm. way that Amy Winehouse's uh, estate has granted the digital rights for hers. But let's say you do um, a biopic on someone. It may be based on fact, or it could be entirely fiction using historical characters like uh, Abraham Lincoln, mm. Vampire Hunter, as a friend reminded me about this morning. <laughs> like uh, Also like Sherlock Holmes. Well, if you mean Sherlock Holmes 
as the fiction and mm. Queen Victoria as the historical figure, then yes. And <laughs> I'm guessing that's what you meant. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're doing Alexander the Great, you still need an actor to portray Alexander. Mm. We have some busts and portraits of Alexander, but nothing you could really use to animate the character with. An actor is going to do a better job. But what about a movie about uh, Donald Trump or any other contemporary figure? Mm. Would you need an actor to portray him? There's tons of footage to model his expressions and movements with. There's loads of archived recordings, plus he only knows around 100 words. Um, his English is about, I don't know, as complex as my Malay. <laughs> yeah, and your Malay is really bad. Yeah, it, it really, really <laughs> is. So the, the only thing preventing a machine from recreating Trump, according to the director's script, would be the image rights. Mm. So someone like Trump will have cast iron image rights, but what about the rest of us, the yeah. people who don't, uh, or whose digital rights are out of copyright or other forms of protection? You know, I can understand the right of an artist to portray someone on screen. Uh, you, the person, or your estate might not like that portrayal, but it's an actor, it's a script, it's an interpretation. But to actually recreate you to play that role that's that's a very different ballgame. All right. But what if someone found these podcasts in, say, 200 years' time and decide to animate your life? Well, obviously, this example is for illustrative purposes <laughs> only. Um, but yeah, you know, what about people who actually do notable things like firemen who save an Australian town mm. from the flames or that poor kid who was immortalized in the Star Wars lightsaber videos who became, you know, the wrong kind of, of meme? Um, does someone have the right to take his image and animate it. Mm. You know, the chances are we're not going to put the same legal protections behind our digital rights that someone like Donald Trump can. So there's potential for the future to contain a lot of not quite history, you know, perfect recreations of time and space featuring fictional reanimations of the actual characters. Mm. Now, back to this idea of uh, rights. I remember when we discussed Gemini Men before, Will Smith owns his digital rights, but not the rights to the actual CGI version of himself in this movie. That's right. And if I remember correctly, not only does he not own young Will, he doesn't even have a copy of mm. the digital file. Uh, I'm sure there are agreements in place to stop the film company using those digital renders without his permission. But, you know, it does make you wonder who owns what part of you. <laughs> uh, apparently, Robin Williams was so concerned about the way his image could be used after his death that he has actually lodged documents that prevent any use of his likeness, huh? whether it's a CGI, a hologram, or any other form, until the year 2039. Oh, uh, are there any standards in terms of legal protections? Well, some countries don't seem to cover it at all. Uh, even in the US, it varies from state to state. Uh, California the home of Hollywood, obviously <laughs> has a lot of rights. Yeah. I think they mm. grant up to 70 years for an estate to be able to protect a star's image. But how will that pan out in the digital future? You know, we're still making movies about things that happened thousands of years ago. I mean, I just mentioned Alexander the Great. And those movies are both fiction and faction. You can't use faction in that context. I can. I did. I will. Um, it sounds snappy and I think the <laughs> listeners are smart enough to know what I mean. Um, but you can see what I'm driving at. You know, in 100 years' time, the 21st century will still be very recent history. And I may still be alive. Well, I'm not going to die if you're not going to die. Um, we can be like those Muppet characters, uh, Statler and Waldorf, <laughs> laughing at all the weird young people with their brightly coloured fur and funny ways. Um, 
But it's likely that 70 years of protection will have expired mm. for a lot of people. Imagine someone recreating the Lethal Weapon franchise with Donald Trump in Mel Gibson's <laughs> role and Barack Obama as Danny Glover's character or a new version of The Walking Dead with Mark Zuckerberg as all of the zombies <laughs> or Jeff Bezos starring in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. You know, I imagine Elon Musk's estate will rework the Marvel movies and replace Robert Downey Jr. with <laughs> Musk's likeness. And, and do you think that there will be more pressure on actors and sort of other public figures to submit this type of procedure? For sure. I mean, I think it's standard for anyone in action movies who is mm. going to be CGI'd to have their bodies mapped using these professional scanning rigs. But the technology is getting to the point where we may be able to bypass that stage, you know, that the algorithms can learn so quickly that all they need is previous footage. Uh, obviously, there's a chicken and egg there because you need film to actually process. But most of us have a trove of video clips from TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and all these sources, mm. we're all supplying future algorithms with the food they need to essentially copy and recreate us. What about the case for completely digital stars? I'm really not sure. You know, we like to think there's a recipe to creating a star. Mm. Um, <laughs> so it's not so much about whether the actor is human or rendered, it's whether the audience takes to the actor. Um, Babu Frick is the latest mm. Star Wars character to polarise audiences. Um, I mentioned how much I love Rocket and Guardians of the Galaxy and how much most people hate <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, also, of course, Star Wars. Uh, CGI stars are no different to human ones. You can't force them famous. Mm. Uh, audiences have to choose. Could it make it more difficult for the next generation of actors, though, if you could cast the young Will Smith or Arnie in every single action movie or multiple versions of Meryl Streep in every, I guess, you know, talkie? Yeah, I mean, the Meryl Streep thing would be kind of frightening, but hey, <laughs> yeah. um, you could do it to an extent. You know, why cast someone unknown and unused when you can hire someone is a guaranteed box office draw? Yeah. Um, much as I love her acting, I'm wondering who's going to be pulling Nicole Kidman's digital ghost out of the shelf, given her often variable box office performance. Mm. But, you know, the film industry is a very conservative one when it comes to risk. Uh, and there are some... Reasons to think that we won't go down this route. First is the cost. Uh, the estates of these big stars will demand huge fees for the use of their avatars. And then there's the enormous cost of actually creating them. I can see a lot of directors opting for cheap and cheerful and casting unknown humans, as they already do. Or if the technology makes it cheap enough, maybe they will just create digital actors from scratch. Mm. Uh, it would allow you to make versions of movies and show them in uh, multiple languages without that annoying, weird dubbing thing going on because the actors will always perfectly mouth the language. Do you think this will be like a, a fad, a bit like the, you know, the novelty of 3D? Well, as I said earlier, you know, one reason for casting James Dean may be just to see if you can do it, but also to see how audiences react. It's like my reaction to Carrie Fisher. I'd love to love for her to be alive and still starring in Star Wars. It's a bit twisted to want her dead mm. and still starring in it. Um, I have a feeling that audiences may watch a couple of these CGI process flicks featuring dead actors and decide that, you know, that's it, that's enough. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the reaction to zombie James Dean and Finding Jack 
actually are. Maybe cinema audiences will decide that, you know, it's better to let sleeping dogs lie. All right. Uh, that was MSP episode 111, Deep Fake Fiction, The Rise of CGI Movie Stars. Another Star Wars-ish kind of, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm keeping to my Star Trek, Picard, <laughs> science yeah. fiction theme. And science fiction was our, our theme last week, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, anyways, uh, we'll be right back with uh, Geek Squawks after this BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.